And I think we got down, oh, about 12, verse 12, somewhere's about there. I'm back up to verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, second person plural, that you all, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. And that's just simply another way Paul puts of the Jews, the circumcision, the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. But that circumcision is by, by in the flesh by, made by hands. Uh, as Paul said, he was circumcised on the eighth day out of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, that's something done by the flesh. But the circumcision that we're concerned about is the circumcision of the heart, which is the spiritual work by the Holy Spirit of God, regeneration, making of a new creature. Uh, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth of Israel, it's the citizenship or the nation of Israel. You know, you've got... I think it's Massachusetts and Virginia and Kentucky are all commonwealths. I think that's the only three. Uh, I don't know the difference between a state and a commonwealth, but that's what we are, whatever, whatever difference that is. I can't give it to you right now. If there is, I don't, I don't see where there's much difference. But anyway, aliens, a foreigner, uh, were we illegal aliens? Well, no, we, but we were common aliens. Foreigners from the family of God, the nation of God. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Uh, Romans 3, Paul said, what advantage had the Jew over the Gentiles, because the Jews, unto them were committed the covenants and the promises and uh, all of Israel. Was there any advantage to that? Much, chiefly in every way. There was much advantage, but in the final analysis, we Gentiles, who were not a nation, who had none of that, covenants, promises, and all of God, there was no difference. For we had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, <clears throat> if, you want to, if you ever want to make a little outline of a, a lesson to teach, we were without Christ, foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, Without God in the world. Now you can't get much worse off than that. Without Christ and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus. You all who sometimes. That's sometimes. Uh, in the Greek that would just be in time past. And he's talking about the time past. Before we were made. Near in Christ. 
So sometimes we're far off. Uh, let me get Zechariah chapter 14, I think. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Oh, it's earlier in the book. I know what it is. Yeah, here we go. Chapter 6. We were on chapter 13 and 14 last week, weren't we, brother? Chapter 6, verse 12. And speaking to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and that means the offspring of God. Can't be talking about anybody else but Jesus, prophetically. And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. That's his kind of church. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall uh, bear the glory, shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest uh, upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And in verse 15, and they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. That's us. That's the Gentiles. That's exactly who Paul is talking about there. Uh, anyway, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, were far off, are made nigh. Nigh just means near by the blood of Christ because... For is because he, Christ, is our peace. When I'm in Corinthians, it talks about, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. I always do this. Jesus Christ is not the foundation of our salvation. He is our salvation. He is the foundation of his church. That's church truth. That's not salvation truth. But now the majority of them try to make that salvation. Jesus Christ is not the foundation. You take a foundation, something got to be built on it. Foundation is just a waste of money if you don't build something on it. Jesus Christ is the foundation, the chief cornerstone. And let him, Paul was a wise master builder, and let us all be careful how we build thereupon. We build upon the church by doing what God ordained, 
what God commanded. But that's not talking about the foundation of our salvation. So Jesus Christ is our peace. He is our salvation. Who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile. That's not an issue with us. We don't know many Jews. Uh, I've known a few in my day that I knew were Jews. I have nothing against them. Nothing at all. I don't agree with their religion. They do not, even though they practice, they try, practice Orthodox Judaism, unlike John Hagee, they're lost. John Hagee seems to think that there's a special way for Jews to be saved. But there isn't. We see this right here as Paul is plainly stating. He has made both one. Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Now what is that enmity? That enmity came because of the law and because of our flesh, because of our sin. There's the, that's why in the natural flesh we are at enmity, were at enmity against God. <clears throat> so, having, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. How did he do this in his flesh? We're talking here about the humanity of Christ. When you're speaking of his flesh, you're speaking of his humanity, of which many preachers won't speak. Because they insist that Jesus was not a man like we are. I don't mean we're all men, we're human beings. I've heard them say he was not a man like we are. And I rebuke that. That's heresy. That's major heresy. If, if Christ didn't come in the flesh, we don't have a Savior. Amen. So... When it says that he abolished uh, in his flesh the enmity. How did he do that? He fulfilled the law. He kept the law, especially the Ten Commandments. And he kept the law, therefore fulfilled the law. And therefore he abolished that enmity in his flesh. And then he went to the cross of Calvary. And there he hanged and paid the sin penalty for all of the sins of all of his people. And thereby he abolished the enmity that we had against Christ. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for the making himself of two, one new man, so making peace. And that's how he abolished the enmity. And that he might reconcile both unto God. Uh, look over at Romans 5 real quick.
in verse... Eleven. Paul says, and not only so, or look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Same word. By the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Now that word atonement should be, or at least in the Greek, it is katalage. It's the word for reconciliation. Now I don't know why they put atonement there, but I kind of know why they did. Specifically, Jesus didn't make atonement for our sins in the specifics of the word. Atonement was a covering. And that is a word for the Old Testament under the sacrifices. And when they offered the sacrifices, atonement was made and that was covering. But it had to be done every year. When Jesus Christ poured out his soul unto death on the cross. He didn't make a covering. He put our sins away by the sacrifice of himself. So, though I know what they're saying, and I don't attribute any ill will to them, but we have not received the atonement. We've received the reconciliation, and that is the exact same word as reconciliation in the other verses here. Verse 10 and so on. So, you might write a note out there that that's reconciliation. All right, so what about reconciliation? Reconciliation, somebody gave an illustration. I almost spurred it to somebody. I read it a long time ago. It's like there's a, the father of the family and a wayward son. Say he's the prodigal son. And father and son have been at each other. Matter of fact, hate each other. Father wants nothing to do with the son. The son wants nothing to do with the father. And here they are standing on either side of the mama that's dying. And she takes the father's hand and the son's hand. And with the last bit of strength, joins those hands together, and then she dies. It could be said, all things being equal, that they were finally reconciled. Well, now, of course, in the, in the one offering of Jesus, you've got to consider more than just one aspect of it. There are so many things. We're justified, uh, but reconciliation is that enmity leaving. And Christ accomplished that by his blood. You say his blood, you're talking about his life. By his death. And that's what he's accomplished in reconciliation. 
So, uh, that he might reconcile, verse 16, well, look, verse 15, having abolished in, the, in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain. Twain is just two. Of two, one new man, so making peace. But Jesus did not make peace by showing love for everybody. There couldn't be any greater warfare that's ever gone on than the warfare between God the Father and God the Son on the cross. You read in Habakkuk, he says, God is of pure eyes than to behold iniquity. Brother Derek just read it a minute ago. And Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli. That's God. Not Elijah, that's God. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Now is Jesus still God? Yes, he is. But he's dying, suffering, as the man Christ Jesus. Under the law, under the wrath of God. Psalm 75. In the hand of God is a cup. And it's full of orge, wine. The wine of the wrath of God. And even the dregs are in that cup. The bitters. And he drinks all of that cup. That's the wrath of God. Now folks. I'm so thankful. That when we take the Lord's Supper. I'm able to drink a cup of peace. A cup of blessing. And that's what the fruit of the vine symbolizes. Fermented wine symbolizes the wrath of God. And you can't deny that scripturally. That's what it symbolizes. And we are not memorializing the wrath of God by the cup. We are memorializing the blood of Jesus. Now in the cup that Jesus drank, yes, there is all of the wrath of God. And notice, when you get in Revelation, you get seven vials or bowls of the wrath of God, and he pours them, empties them up. There's the wrath of God. Now, the symbolism of that is, of course, you can't put the wrath of God in a bowl, but you can put the symbol in a bowl. And when you empty out that bowl, wherever that bowl is empty, emptied out at, it's awesome. The wrath of God. And Jesus Christ drank that cup just like on the, uh, the uh, offerings in the, under the uh, Mosaic Covenant. The evening and the morning, the burnt offerings. And the high priest would take that fourth part of a hen 
I'm thinking that's close to about a quart. Of fermented wine. And pours it over that burnt offering. They don't drink it. That's what happened in Adam and Abihu. They drank it. And that's how they offered up strange fire. But nobody drank of that wine. Because that was reserved for God Almighty, the Son of God. As our sacrifice. And there's all of the wrath of God, even the bitters of that cup. Poured out on that burnt offering. Every morning and every evening. And that whole offering, it was burnt. It was a burnt offering. It was burned until it all became a smell of a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. And that's exactly the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. And so, what did Jesus Christ do to bring peace? Between God and me, he offered up his flesh. And that's what he's saying. Making himself a twain one new man, so making peace. People say, well, you need, we need peace with this. No, I tell you what, every individual. You need to make sure, first of all, that you have peace with God. And there's only one way you can have peace with God. You can't work for it. You can't baptize for it. You can't genuflect for it. You can't count beads for it. You can't do anything for it. That peace can only come through He who made our peace. And that's Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And that He might reconcile both unto God in one body. That's his body on the cross or by the cross. Having slain the enmity thereby. And when Jesus Christ died, that veil rent in twain, rent in two from the top to the bottom in the temple. Showing that that way now is open only through the veil which is his body, only through the Lord Jesus. You don't go through a a veil anymore. The veil you go through is the body of Christ by faith. And he came and preached peace to you which were far off. There's where the Gentiles came in. We're the ones who were far off. Sometimes we think that we're something. All those people coming across that border, and I know they're, they're illegals and all that, but I guarantee you, if I was able and I was in their country where they are, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm not, I'm not saying forget about it. We've got to have some control over it. We've got to know who's coming in. And these Democrats don't understand that. And that's not because we hate those people. There ain't nobody makes a better citizen that somebody who has desired to be here for the liberty and the freedom that we have, ain't nobody makes a better citizen 
it thrills me when I see a bunch of foreigners at at their citizenship uh, or you know the order of services there. You see more patriots there, and you probably do at the Democratic National Headquarters. Foreigners that come in and become citizens make some of our best citizens. They really do. Not these people that come in and trying to destroy us, but people that want to become a citizen. I have no problem with them whatsoever. And you know what? We all ought to have a little sympathy for them. You know why? Because if you're truly saved, having been taught from the scriptures and remembering your own situation, you know what it means to be a foreigner and alien from a nation like this and not able to get in here. I don't did you ever meet the engineer over there in Hungary in Romania I mean I can't remember his name now he's electrical engineer we were in his apartment yeah you know how they in Romania how they get into the United States it's a lottery they have to put their names in a lottery and draw out a few every year and they just hope their name is drawn out and this guy, was, he's an electrical engineer, wife of a professional baker. I mean, they could have contributed so much. How come they couldn't get in this country? How couldn't they em couldn't immigrate here and become American citizens? Because it's not run right. It's run illy. It's run ungodly is what it is. Uh, so anyway, so people have a rough time getting in here. And I would do the same thing if it's the only way I figured I could get in here. Try to feed my family. Uh, but we still have to have control. We still have to know who's coming in. But we all ought to have a little bit of sympathy for them, if not a lot. Because in a, even a much greater way, not physical, but spiritual way, we were aliens that had no country, had nothing going for us, without Christ, without God in this world. And yet here we are. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. All right. So, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were near. Those that were near were the Jews. They were close. But even Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He wasn't in there. They were close, but we were far off. For through him, through Christ, through his body, through his suffering, through his peace, we both, <laughs> I can go to, go to God directly to Christ. So can a Jew if he's in Christ. But he can't get there any quicker than I can. We both have access 
by the Holy Spirit unto the Father. And now therefore, y'all are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. I'm glad to shake hands with anybody that has come into this country legal, legally, and they've gone through the classes and studied, and they've sworn their allegiance to this country and to the laws of this country, and there are Americans. I'm glad to shake their hands and welcome them. I've done a bunch of them that way. Glad to have them, thankful to have them. They're not a burden. They're a blessing to have because that's how we all got in here. Now we are more strangers or foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now we're all together, are one. Jew and Gentile, male, female, all as one in the household of God. Now we did this in chapter 1. We had all of our wonderful doctrine the sovereignty of God, election, predestination, and all that. And we ended up that chapter, look chapter 1, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ. That's the mighty power of God. That's the mighty power of God. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies or the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the assembly. <laughs> the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Chapter 1 takes us from the sovereignty of God to the church. Chapter 2 takes us to the depravity of man. To the grace of God and salvation. And ends up in the church. Every chapter of Ephesians. Ends up a church chapter. Every, all six chapters do. Are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now that ain't talking salvation folks. He's talking about the household of God. He's talking about the church. Just as he did in 1 Corinthians. In whom? Jesus Christ in whom? All the building fitly framed together. Brother Paul Kirkman said it's fitly framed together, not framed together to have fits. Sometimes that's what churches devolve into. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom? The Lord in whom? You all also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Where does God dwell in this world? 
in his church. This is the dwelling of God. Lord, how love I. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. We come into his house with songs of thanksgiving. We worship him. We worship him for who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. That's worship unto God. And we come together as a congregation, an assembly. And we do it in the assembly place of God. And so we are the dwelling place of God.